The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good times. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Whole Man's Chronicles, and I, I am Sarah. <laughs> and I'm Nicole. And basting this turkey is a new one. <laughs> Let's do the dance. Let's baste this turkey. Oh, man. You know, it's just something my sister and I have always said. Oh, really? So, hey, welcome. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to well, get you look nice and juicy. Today. Huh? Sure is. You look lovely today with your pearls. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it took I realized... Nicole a whole bunch huh? of time to figure out what I just said. Oh, no. There's a lag, isn't there? I don't know if there's a lag or if we're just talking over each other. It could be that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I said you have pearls on, it took you a second to be like, yes, I'm wearing pearls. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that is a legitimate temporary brain like missing chemical or something where I was like, am I? Oh, I am. Let me look at myself in the camera. <laughs> I realized that if I don't wear earrings um, on a semi-regular basis, then my ears are kind of like weird when I do. Um, not that I have like a reaction or anything. It's just like Hey, we're, we're used to running free. We're used to yeah. being naked. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So I've been trying to remember to put earrings in so that my ears don't freak out every time I put earrings in. That's fair. I haven't taken yeah. my earrings out of my head since they were pierced, with the exception of, you know, medical procedures, etc. I sleep with these bitches in. I don't know how. But I do. I can't easy, stand. Pass out. No, I can't stand the the backs poking me. Like the back of my ear will poke me. Yeah, I guess like because I've always had earrings since I I was, I don't know. This may not be gen. This might be generalization. However, in like European cultures, a lot of the times babies will get their ears pierced. So when I was young, three three weeks I think it was my mom had gotten my ears pierced at three weeks old so I've never slept <laughs> in memory I've never slept without earrings in before huh interesting I can't even stand them like if I have like a full uh over-the-ear headphone or any kind of like headset on and it poking me mm -hmm. or maybe my earlobes are just closer to the back of my neck than yours maybe you have more distance <laughs> No, I can still feel them. It still sucks when I feel them. <laughs> ah. oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, that, that reminds me of the show Botched. Mm -hmm. And there was um, a woman on there who had transitioned a long, long time ago. And she had what's called pixie lobes. I guess her ears just kind of like melted into her jawline. And they certainly did. It was just this one continuous thing of skin that kind of just like went into their jawline. Oh. And so when she got surgery for her facelift or whatever, 
they created real earlobes again for her and I was like oh what a crazy thing to consider like I can't um, imagine like that's your insecurity right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah my earlobes are like I don't know one with my jawline I'm not sure if that's great but <laughs> they probably just wore their hair down all the time mm-hmm mm -hmm. she sure did yeah she was actually famous um in that community for having a couple of like club songs and stuff botched the new season mm. it's a good one okay um yeah i dated a guy once who was born a preemie and he had small ears like his ears were much smaller than like a normal ear. Oh, interesting. And not that it was something I even noticed, I but you only noticed after he said something, you know? Oh, he had to say of something, of course. I was going to mm -hmm. say, like, was that a topic he brought up? Or were you like, <laughs> hey, that's unproportionately small. What's going on? <laughs> no, he brought it up. <laughs> Don't look at my ears. I didn't right. even notice them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, our story today is uh, kind of on the same train. Like, it's similar as far as, like, beauty standards and how you look and present yourself. Oh, um, look at that. Just naturally tying it all together. Mm -hmm. Like the earlobe and the jawline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the natural progression of things. Of things. Yes. Um, well, this actually stems from our recording last week because I was Googling right. live Googling while you were telling the story about, uh, who invented nail polish or how long have people been, you know, painting their nails. And then I was shockingly surprised by the answer because it was like before Christ. <laughs> Egyptians been doing this shit forever. <laughs> so I stuck with it like I kept my Google page in the background so that I could refer to it um, the unfortunate thing is that there's not a ton of background information on um, I guess the women involved in this and the person I had mentioned was Michelle Menard and she was a French makeup artist and that's who came up first and she was tied to Revlon. There's like no information about her. So we're going to get a whole little background story on um, just nails and nail polish in general to a right. woman today. Yeah. Um, or like the evolution. A little bit. Yeah. And then coincidentally, uh, four days ago, Bailey Sarian released a dark history episode about nail salons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> might be one I check out. So I didn't dive into how like Vietnamese culture kind of took over the whole nail salon industry here in America. Um, I think that's what hers is about because it's a dark history episode. But um, anyway, I was like, well, let me try to stay on task here and not get into like the <laughs> super... Um, complexities of immigrants and all of that so we'll we'll leave that out and you can probably check that out with okay. bailey <laughs> yeah we'll tune into bailey someday 
Um, so today's the home of history. The main person we're going to talk about is Mary E. Cobb. And she was known as the first American manicurist and introduced modern nail manicuring to Britain and the United States. Whoa, wait a minute. So the something that didn't start in Europe? No, it definitely started in Europe. Oh, okay. I was like, dang. Okay, never mind. She's the first <laughs> known American. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. Sarah got <laughs> I'm operating with mashed potatoes right now. It's been a long day. (laughs) (laughs) First known American to bring manicuring to Britain and the U.S. from Europe. Okay. Yep. I get it. So we have to back all the way up, like I said, like to 3200, like 3000 BCE. So the history of nail polish started back in ancient Babylonia. (laughs) Babylonian time. Yes. So sources say that um, actually mainly men use coal as like a cosmetic. And um, there's like a lead sulfide in there that they were able to use as like a nail polish. Um, So it was black in color. And the high class people wore it to separate themselves from the lower class. Oh, I'm sorry. So black nail polish was the first nail polish. Hmm. Yeah, which I'm not quite sure how they made green, but the lower class wore green and the upper class wore black. There is, okay, so there's a lady that I follow on the Instagrams who does, um, she's like, she's got her degree in chemistry. And so she does on occasion travel back in time to make makeups that even like in that time they would wear. So like she went and discovered blue eye makeup from something that was derived from something and then something else. So yeah, I'm not shocked by that, that they actually had color options, but what's yeah, no. is. So I'm going to tell you about the color options a little bit. Um, All right. So when nail polish was used in like 3000 BCE in China, um, It was still a way to differentiate the upper class from the general population, but they used silver and gold as their main colors. Well, of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) So to China. (laughs) Yeah. So metallics were like your symboled symbolization of power or wealth. So early nail polish was a mixture of beeswax, gelatin and egg white died with orchids or roses and so they left the nails they left that on the nails for a long time and it would leave a stain oh okay so they they had some sort of metallic dust whether it was like real silver real gold i'm not sure but they would add that dust to the color and let it set yes So it's more like you had stained nails than polished nails. I wonder too then, was it an entire fingertip? You know, like, you know how when you're (laughs) blast through and you're like, oh, I'm just going to paint my whole nail. And then, you know, when it dries, I'll get in the shower and do my thing. and It'll just be off. Fine. No big deal. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I thought about that too. I was like, I wonder if this unique blend of things only stuck to the nail or if it stuck to the whole finger. Yeah, like um, precision here. 
<laughs> I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. But um, the silver and gold was formally restricted to the like wealthy and powerful. Anyone else who wore it, it was like a crime for them to wear it. Yeah, sure. Like they would get in actual trouble for wearing. You don't look like you belong with that color of nail. Come here. <laughs> I know in Asian cultures, the darker the skin, it was actually bad. So I imagine that plus nail polish really did it for people. Yeah. So then around the same time in India and Egypt, they would use henna to color their nails. And um, everyone was allowed to wear henna. But again, the upper class were different colors than the lower class. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's, I don't know if it's a myth or if it's just hearsay or folklore or whatever. Um, did I say folklore? Yeah. Folklore. <laughs> I like folklore. <laughs> New genre. Uh, well, anyway, um, it's been rumored Food. that both <laughs> Nefertiti, which would have been around 1330 BCE, and Cleopatra, which would have been like 60 BCE, were both trendsetters and it's believed that Queen Nefertiti, 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 who Nefertiti. first dyed her nails red in ancient Egypt, was a symbol of her royal status. I'm and, not surprised by this. Yeah, so she usually wore ruby red nails, and her hands were dyed with henna. Um, some suggest that she also used blood as a coloring agent. That's exactly where I was going to go with this. I'm like, probably she was a little ruthless, savage, savagery, if you will. And that was likely the root of her wanting to wear red. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then, you know, thousands of years later, or maybe a thousand years later, Cleopatra also wore red nails. And when she wore red nails, no one else was allowed to wear the same color. Oh, hell no. I'm surprised. Well, Nefertiti, likely, nobody could replicate that. And then Cleopatra, it had been replicated by that point. She's like, absolutely fucking not. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> so nail polish didn't actually make its way across to Europe until much later. It didn't get there till like the 18th century. Trading. So um, this was because of trade deals from India in the Middle East. Um, so at, at this point, it's still very much associated with wealth. And the first nail salon opened in the late 19th century in Paris. My gosh, so, could you imagine what that experience was like? Going to a nail salon in Paris in the late 1800s? All right. What a time. <laughs> I wonder if it took as long as it does now. All right. Sorry, I'll shut up. I'm just got questions for days <laughs> um more than likely it's about this it's probably about the same to be honest based on the rest of the story i'm gonna assume it's actually probably not advanced that much um so it was only until basically there was enough advances in nail technology um and people traveling and stuff for it to make it across to the U.S. So the U.S. 
didn't get a nail salon until 1878. And so that one was opened by Mary E. Cobb, our hoe of history for today. And she opened that in Manhattan. And her $1.25 buff and shine manicures were set up um, to make her very successful, actually. Oh, my. $1.25 is kind of pricey. It um, is around $30 in today's money. Yeah. So that's why I said, like, it's really not, like, the price of of manicures has pretty much stayed the same for (laughs) over 100 years. And I assume the process is about the same as well. So So what I'm hearing, our nail techs need to start charging more. (laughs) (laughs) They just keep charging the equivalent to um, inflation. Yeah, that's fair. So Mary Cobb was born uh, May 1852 in Lynchburg, Virginia to listen to her dad's name. Pleasant. His name was Pleasant. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Pleasant Cobb. Pleasant A. Cobb. (laughs) His parents, man. What happened there? And he was a carpenter. And her mother, I'm not, it doesn't really say. Um, But her father hence Mary as well, was a descendant of Ambrose Cobbs, who was the founder of a prominent and politically powerful Southern dynasty who came from England as early as 1635. So after the Civil War, um, the Cobb family moved to New York City. And uh, as far as I could tell, though, I'm not sure if dad joined like it says, mom and two brothers with Mary. Mm-hmm. Not sure what happened to dad. Pleasant bailed. Uh, well, or he was in the war. Probably. So. um, So in once they're in New York, it's 1874. Mary meets Dr. Joseph Parker Prey and they get married And uh, Dr. Prey is a podiatrist. And so he made pretty good money on like foot powders and regular podiatry stuff, but also joining with Mary on ladies' cosmetics. So um, it's it's basically said that around the time of her marriage – that Mary traveled to France as a companion of the Baroness de Rothschild, where she learned the art of the nail manicure. Now, how she would be connected to a Baroness, unclear. Her family. I mean, possibly her family, possibly her... Right, possibly the Cobbs, possibly her very successful doctor husband. husband. Yeah. Um. So... There's really no information to know, like, if this is true or not. Um, but basically, her husband kind of ordered her to work or continue to work or find a job after they were married, which seems, you know, unnatural compared to the time. Contrary um, to, yes, contrary to everything else. Yeah. And uh, so anyway... He wanted her to be trained in 
chiropotty, which is basically being a podiatrist as well, or something to do with like feet, ankles, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so she didn't go for feet. She went for hands and learned the traditional French manicuring. Um, it seems as though Victorian culture, though, was not that interested in like contemporary processes or results. Um, seems as though Mary took what she learned and implemented quite a bit of her own ideas. So, oh. um, okay, she's like she's one of the people who was like, okay, we should soak the fingers first. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you mean she applied um, like common common sense to a process that hadn't been touched? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking that maybe she was trying to soften the cuticles. Yeah. You know? Um, but anyway, so they would soak the she she created this process where they'd soak the fingers, trim the nails, and then use a file to like shape the nail. Um so she also kind of figured out an enamel to ensure that the nail would be protected and to like not put the color on the hand. <laughs> so you know how like earlier we're like, does it end up on the skin right. and like the skin absorb it? So my guess is like maybe sometimes. Yeah. Um. So her teachings and learnings from Europe come over back to Manhattan and her nail salon's called Mrs. Prey's Manicure. <laughs> and over time, she definitely developed like a crazy business mindset because she was able to like open up multiple places. Um, she focused her efforts on the higher end market and clientele, but honestly she would range anywhere from like socialites to showgirls even like sex workers i'm assuming people who had the extra money and also their yeah. appearance required them to look a certain way mm -hmm. um and so she ended up evolving her operations into two townhouses in new york and then had branches in chicago washington boston and philadelphia she <laughs> this is worldwide over here i know <laughs> and so then she started expanding into hairdressing and skincare so course, naturally yeah um according to suzanne e shapiro she's the author of the 2014 book nails the story of the bounded manicure uh, <laughs> nails yeah suzanne <laughs> is quoted saying that um, Mary branded herself the originator of the manicure arts and that she focused on the, um, the, the gentleness needed of elegant hands and that, um, her manicures were unlike any other manicures, like all other manicures were very simple. Oh, so it's elevated, better customer experience. I'm here for this. Yeah. So. In 1884, Mary and her doctor husband get divorced. Um, Mary and yes, Mary ends up having full custody of the children and proprietorship of the business. And then that's when she reverted her maiden back to her maiden name. Good. So that's why she is known as Mrs. Mary E. Cobb instead of 
Mary Prey or Mrs. Prey, even though her nail salon was Mrs. Prey. I'm here um, for this, though. Huh? I'm here for that. Yeah. Take backs. What's yours, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> so in the same year that they got divorced, her and now her ex-husband made their most lasting contribution to the nail care industry with the invention of the emery board. Ooh, my favorite equipment. <laughs> so seriously, it's, it's all tied to them. <laughs> it's one of my favorite pieces of you know tools to utilize both in the shop and on my nails. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that obviously an emery board works just like sandpaper does on wood or in any kind of like construction project. And her dad was a carpenter. So I was just like, hmm. I imagine that came from that. Yeah. Um, so then after the divorce, she expanded into manufacturing, producing her own line of cosmetics, nail care products, powders, a steam facial machine. Um, yeah. So oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. She was tapping markets left and right, like just trying to sell products and get into like major department stores. Um, she even got some of her stuff though. Like I'm assuming the emery boards into like five and dime shops, which are like dollar stores today. Yeah. I imagine um, like her ex-husband was like, I didn't mean like that. Jesus. She just wanted <laughs> you to work. <laughs> I'll fucking show you keep a job. <laughs> uh, or maybe I'm, he was like, you really have a lot of potential and you're very smart. You shouldn't waste yeah. it. Let's no, be more absolutely. positive. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's. <laughs> My feelings were originally that. I'm just being snarky. Mm -hmm. So Mary even created a mail order version of like sending products out. Wow. And she professionally trained women on how to do manicures. Like, so she was teaching um, women how to be professional manicurists and she even included some guides for women who wanted to do their own at-home manicures. That's awesome. So, she like, she really created all of all. this stuff. Yes. One person. You see what happens when one person is allowed to create? Things fucking get created that are useful. <laughs> I feel like Steve Jobs was the last person on this planet who was allowed to, like, dictate his own inventions and creations at that level. I don't know if that exists anymore in a corporate world. Bummer. Oh, uh, corporate world, probably not. No. But, I mean, Steve Jobs was also the originator and, yeah. you know, CEO. Mm -hmm. Um, So, at the turn of the 20th century, um, at this point now we're in the early 1900s and Mary and her ex-husband have a monopoly on the production and sale of the Emery board, um, along with several other nail care items such as red and pink nail polish. Oh. Yeah. Proprietary blends that won't poison you? <laughs> yes, apparently. <laughs> um, so Mary actively participated in the management of her businesses for the remainder of her life. Um she always was seeking to like expand and develop her product lines and reach a wider audience. Um, she was known for uh, wanting to get to know her clients on a personal level, had a lot of interest in her clients and employees. She was often described as sweet and charming. Um, 
Yeah. So by 1900, her business was one of the largest female owned and managed businesses in the world. That's awesome. And in 1888, she actually did get remarried to John Van Bergen. He was the son of a wealthy Brooklyn sugar merchant. Mm, And um, they ended up sharing a townhouse on the corner of West 58th Street and 7th Avenue in New York. Um, But unfortunately, Mary died fairly young. She was 49. I am sad about this. Yes. From what? I don't know. I guarantee it's all that bullshit that was in nail polish. (laughs) I it's very possible with her mixing I'm gonna all those it. powders and chemicals. Yes. And yes. It's very possible. Um, so FYI, the makeup industry is still not regulated to this day. That yeah. means these manufacturers can put whatever the fuck they want in there. And yeah. They don't, they don't have to just close it. Right. To this day. I know. <sighs> um. So, yeah, she passed away on January 30th, 1902. And, um, RIP, Ms. Cobb. I know. It was just, I was like, oh my God, she did all of that before she was 50. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like 40 is like the new accomplished stuff. And by 50, you're like, well, we gave it our best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So, the invention of modern day nail polish wasn't that far off beyond like after this. Um, in 1911, Q-Tex launched an extract for softening cuticles. But then you fast forward like 14 years later, 1925, they created a liquid nail polish. So Q-Tex, from my reading, seems to be the first brand that created a liquid nail polish. Um However, like I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to talk about Michelle Menard because during World War One, the U.S. seized German chemical patents, and this is leading to the, re- the release of nitrocellulose mm-hmm. in the American market. Mm-hmm. And so that ingredient was put into car paint. Mm-hmm. And in the 1920s, this, you know, young French makeup artist, Michelle Menard, who was working for Charles Revson Company at the time, uh, used the car paint as her inspiration for nail polish and worked with Charles Revson, which was actually Revlon, to release its first liquid nail polish. So the Charles Revson Company was renamed as Revlon, and obviously it's now like a major leader in the cosmetics industry, Um but uh, I'm not sure what Michelle's role was at the company. It's just been said that she worked there. Um, and Charles shared the company with his brother and a scientist or chemist. Um, so this first run, apparently, though, with the strong chemicals, did end up ruining customers' nails. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. It's fucking car grade paint, so. Um, but the very first red nail polish that like would be kind of what we would know today as a nail polish was called Cherries in the Snow by Revlon. Oh, that's cute though. And I think they still make it. Probably. I wouldn't um, that. So nail polish is now 
being perfected in like the twenties and thirties and it's starting to like go into stores across the United States. It's becoming more popular. And you know what else was popular at this time? Hmm. Color films. We were hmm. moving out of black and white into color. Oh, so the golden age. Yes, the golden age of Hollywood. So actresses like Ginger Rogers and Bet- Betty Davis wore red nail polish. So oh. then that's when it became synonymous with glamour. I'll be damned. Yes. Um, I like to think, though, that the red nail polish was definitely the blood of her enemies. I'm just going to go <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it originated that way. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, so... Now it's another like 35 years, 30 years, and uh, makeup artist Jeff Pink is his name. Um, he's a makeup artist in Hollywood, and he created the French manicure. He needed a neutral option for nails that would match the varying wardrobe changes that the actresses had to go through in a in a time, you know, days, couple days, week, whatever. And so, yeah, the French manicure isn't actually French at all. That's just you're talking the paint job, not the physical manicure from earlier. Correct. The 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 French manicure paint job with the neutral pinky on the bottom and the white on top. So So that that was created in the states. Mm Hmm. Okay. They just churched it up with French. I mean. I'm pretty sure French fries aren't French either. Like it's one of those things. No, they're they're not. <laughs> I don't know why people put French in the front of them. Did Maybe it it's fancy? an homage. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's to make it fancy, let's be honest. Yeah. If you call it French, then you know, of of course it's going to have some sort of glitz and glam. <laughs> um sparkle. Yeah. So in 1934, so I'm backtracking a little bit, um, there was a dentist in Chicago named Maxwell Lappe, Lappe, and he came up with a product that he called New Nails, N-U Nails, an artificial nail created specifically for nail biters. Ew. So Dennis, yeah, Dennis um, ended up inadvertently creating things in the nail industry. because they had similar bonding products for teeth. Yeah. So um, there was another dentist named Fred Slack. And in 1957, he broke a nail at work. And then when he went to repair it, he used aluminum foil and dental acrylic from his lab, designing like a fake nail that looked very realistic. So, um, he collaborated with Wait, his, what? Are you getting ready to tell me that a man invented fake acrylic nails? Yes. A hundred percent. Motherfucker. Yes. So this dentist collaborated with his brother and then they patented the, what we know today as acrylic nails. I'll be fucking, fuck. I just... So you have the first guy, the first dentist, who created an artificial nail for people who are nail biters, probably to get them to stop or to replace missing nail that they had bit off or something. And then you've got the other guy who 
broke his nail on the job and wanted to have it not look probably disgusting as he's going to enter your mouth with his hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to place what kind of a, a dentist he would have been in order to care about the quality or state of his hands, if that was something they taught back then or if that was a personal preference. I mean, I assume you know? personal preference. Um, but in both cases, they were meant for practical uses. Obviously, today, women have acrylic nails that are just for aesthetics. Not, not practical. Absolutely. Yes. None of them are practical. I've not yeah. seen one set of acrylic nails that makes sense in the last <laughs> three years, let's say. I'm always like, how do you guys, like, zip up your pants and, like, do normal just tasks, you know? Function. Put your hair in a, in a ponytail. Like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Um. So just to kind of like circle back to Mary and close out the whole nail story, um, Mary's businesses lasted about another 30 years after her death um, before being acquired and folded into other businesses. And um, unfortunately, her because her businesses kind of got outpaced by the advancements of the rest of the industry because Mary was not there to lead them. Her son had a, I don't know, a, a lack of an innovation spirit. Um, he didn't make things happen very fast. Uh, because of his slowness, other brands like Max Factor and Elizabeth Arden like surpassed them. Um, and then also... It says the younger phrase, personal mental health. So I'm going to assume that it must have been the younger child of the brother I just mentioned um, had some mental health issues. And he added to the mismanagement of the business. So by the time it was World War II, uh, Mary Cobb wasn't really like associated with the nail business anymore. It's so wild to think that somebody could build an empire like that and then not have anybody as passionate as they are to continue it and so it just peters out after mm -hmm. this incredible monumental thing that they created i know it's very disturbing <sighs> i didn't want to say that when i was talking about her life earlier because it's such a bummer um so i Got my information from nailsuperstore.com, thenailbar.com, sienna.co, wikipedia, 29secrets.com, fyi.tv, thenewyorkpost.com, and nailcompany.com. Well. I, I mean, I actually, I probably read even more stories than those, but it was just kind of a lot of the same information. Um, I had to really pull the tidbits out of each uh, story to put, to kind of put this together. I know how that goes. Well, I appreciate you putting in the effort. What a crazy, crazy topic. I never thought of like <laughs> at all. I'm so glad you did that. Cause now I have more <laughs> questions and now I have more inspiration for other shit. <laughs> well, and then coincidentally, or maybe it's not. Maybe it was my subconscious. I watched uh, Lessons in Chemistry over the weekend. It's on Apple TV. Mm -hmm. 
and it's a fictional story. Uh, it's got a little bit of, I don't know, historical reference maybe, but um, the main character's life, the main character is played by Brie Larson, is um, very similar to a lot of the women that we cover. And so even though the story is fictional, it feels very real, like the way that they've written it and just the way the story kind of unfolds and comes together. Uh, so she is a chemist like she went to college and she can't uh i guess be a chemist anywhere um without basically a man backing her and they like a, a male has to basically in his eyes take a risk on her coming to work in his lab and her name being on his reports and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of the applications for jobs, even lab techs and stuff didn't on the application, didn't allow for like a missus or a miss or whatever. It just started out like Mr. We assume you're a man, Mr. You know, mm -hmm. um, so she ends up uh, kind of fighting her way through, but then there's also a love story because um, the chemist who gives her the opportunity uh, to work in his lab, they, you know, they create a romance and that's like, like a whole other story. Um, and then they weave in some racial things in there too, based on the times uh, because they live in a, predominantly black neighborhood and they're in California and California wants to put a freeway through the neighborhood. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So she stands up for her neighbors and stands up for women's rights. And it, it's a, it's a very touching show. Like you might be like on the edge of like tears quite a few times. <laughs> I'm on the edge of tears for anything anymore. I cry at the lions games. Well, I mean, if you don't, it's because you're not in it like I am. But <laughs> I cry at Lions games. I cried at August the other day because he's just so fucking cute. Like, yeah, I just cry. It's cool. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a really good watch, and eventually, um, the character's name is Elizabeth Zott. She gets her own TV show, and it's a cooking show, and she's teaching women how to use chemistry in their food or, you know, like how to make the cheese meltier and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and she does Q and A's with the audiences and there's like women will just ask her things about their life. And she basically encourages them to, not rely on their husbands, not just be a mom, not just, you know, be a housewife. Like if you have bigger dreams, which it's fine if you want to, but if you have bigger dreams. And so um, there's a lot of little offshoots where she's influencing other women. And um, I. Like... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was like, and I found it incredibly, um, I guess coincidental that I was researching Mary at the same time that I was watching this show because it's also like chemistry based. Yeah. And it just sounds like she's really uh, like 
all the hoes that we have majority of them that we have covered all kind of wrapped up into one story of just being this iconic woman who took didn't take no for an answer and ended up proving it out and she had a man and they were happy but he wasn't a dictator in the relationship and that's great what's it called again lessons in chemistry on apple tv oh I don't um apple TV. Hum? but i'll look it up anyway oh. i don't have apple tv but i'll look it up anyway okay well I only have it as a promo period, but you can have my login if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can snag a promo period too. Uh, oh, that's funny. Um, so I, I felt very inspired. I felt very inspired. Yeah, I love it. My research and my television watching over the weekend. Hell yeah. That's great. Well, thank you. And, and as you mentioned, the Lions won, which is incredible like Lions did one it's pretty wild like we haven't really seen this in our lifetime <laughs> no um I can assure you I have not and yeah it was a good time yesterday watching that that game and I'm very excited about the future fingers crossed go Lions everybody root for them they deserve it anyway thank you thank you for sharing appreciate the time and effort you put into just this whole story mm, it's not like, again, like i said I'm triggered to go and do a bunch of research on my own <laughs> yeah i mean so I you've got all these women led uh cosmetic companies like bobby brown elizabeth arden like they, you don't really think about it maybe but they do stem from real people like mm -hmm. they are they real women humans <laughs> yeah they have a presence or had one at one point. So, yeah. Well, is it that time for those Atta Girls? It is. It's Atta Girl time where we pat ourselves on the back for something good that we've done or something good that's happened to us. Um, do you have an Atta Girl ready? Yeah. I uh, I went ahead and organized a little bit more at the house this past weekend and I just decided to start hanging stuff up without painting and that kind of thing. So I uh, organized my little office space a little bit more, which I'm pretty excited about. I got a bunch of pictures hanged up, hanged up, hung up behind my desk so that it's not just a blank wall with a calendar stuck to it. There's more stuff now. So that's pretty fun. There's a little bit of hope, I guess you could say, for the future of my home and the organization of it. <laughs> <laughs> little glimmer of hope yeah once things are kind of just like setting on the floor or leaning against the wall they start to blend in like that earlobe <laughs> yeah <laughs> call back yeah it was it was one of those things where i just said fuck it i'm just gonna hang these up and then if i want to do something different later i'll just take them down and redo it it's no big deal. It doesn't have to be permanent. And I think that was maybe one of my hangups. I get nervous because when I do stuff like that, it becomes permanent because it works. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to get stuck in that. I want it to be what I want, not what it, not what it, how it works. If that makes sense. Sure. Sure. What about you? Uh, what's a good add a girl for me? Um, 
Well, I started a new job today. Oh, just bury the lead there. <laughs> No big deal. well, I mean, as as the last couple of weeks have probably shown in my Atta Girls, um, I've been more focused on the house stuff. So I, I initially was going to say, oh, the appraisal happened at my house today. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, there was a bigger thing today. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of big things going on. I know, I know people that I don't see very often who are like, Hey, what's going on? And I'm like, everything, Do you really want to know? Is that like a question? everything is going on. Like, So <laughs> are you doing the American ver version of <laughs> caring or are you doing the real version of caring? There's two different options. yeah. Like how much do you want to know? Like, do you want a loaded answer? <laughs> Um, yes. so yeah, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> You know what the other exciting thing about it is? I get paid weekly. That's great. I fucking love that. That's so wonderful. I mean, I'm Like, contract. isn't that nice? I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't, I've never worked for a company where they've paid you weekly, but I have, even but it was in like. my contract roles I've had in the past or, you know, clients or whatever, like the, the way that I've been paid majority of the time of my career has been monthly. Oh, man. Yeah. I get every two weeks for the majority of my professional time. However, in those part timer boys, Party City, <laughs> you get paid weekly. And I remember Yeah, I don't think I've having ever been that. paid weekly. So this is exciting for me. Yeah, it is exciting to just watch that money sit there and hang out. <laughs> Bill cadence is going to be weird. <laughs> I guess. But I already have other income that covers my bills. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah, good point. I don't know how you operate over there in that space. I have other income that I get paid on monthly and that covers my bills usually. So the weekly Oh, is just that kind changes. of be like, nice, you know, like, Oh, here's your extra. Here's your weekly allowance. Right. I mean, it'll probably have to cover bills too, but you know, Let's be realistic. It's it's all going to go to the same <laughs> stuff. But for right now. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. well, congratulations. You did it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe. It helps us greatly. You can also request a hoe of history for us to do um, by DMing us or commenting on Instagram at homans underscore chronicles. You can email us homanspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can get your homance gear on my Etsy shop. It's nicolebonneville.etsy.com. And you can join the Judgment Free Zone on Facebook. It's a closed group. The Homeless Chronicles of Judgment Free Zone. Um, in case you, I don't know, want to be shocked sometimes or want to <laughs> want to shock to your system. that's so funny in case you want to be shocked question oh it's out <laughs>